It's like Jimi Hendrix album covers were probably awesome at the time, but they mm-hmm. just remind me of weird kids' dorm rooms now. I know. You're right. Isn't it crazy that things that are great can almost be too great for their own good, for their for their lineage in the future? Yeah. Weird heavy. So just got to get into it with these Jimmy songs. Yeah, let's get in. Great tritone off the bat. Yeah. Love the tape hiss. Yeah. Oh, everything sounds good. Like the snare. Sounds great. Amazing. It's so cool because like everything sounds really aggressive, but not like wide. And his voice is like all the way on that side. That's weird. Yeah, yeah. Interesting mix. Yeah. But cool. Yeah. It's very psychedelic, which That's, yeah, I, I yeah. think is what they were going for. Yeah. <laughs> it was probably because people didn't listen on headphones back then. Yeah. I don't think it was popular. Yeah, yeah. So they were just like, oh, it was always panic. in the room. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy this is just three guys playing. Yeah. Like, with some overdubs, but... That guitar tone is fucking epic. Yeah, some weird, some weird tricks going on here. By putting the guitar in the middle, it's almost making it more important than his voice. Yeah, which I think is probably the point. Yeah. That, that kind of is like the blues slash guitar player record tradition right i like all these crazy spaced out vocals on the side yeah i'm like love mitch mitchell as a drummer because great name obviously love names like that mitch mitchell was is this like a thing for like that um zombie song what zombie song um um, I'll tell you after. I can't do it to this song. I know, it's so hard to come up to like think of another song when you're listening to another yeah. one. Yeah, I love this drummer because he sounds tight and sloppy at the same time. Welcome to Listen to This, a podcast in which we explore songs we like, we research what they mean, how they were recorded, why they were written, why we like them, and why you should listen to this. You hear that sick guitar coming out at the end there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Today we're talking about a true rock and roll classic. Long before it was a flavor of weed or bang energy drink, it was a song. It's yeah. Called, <laughs> have you had that bang energy drink? Best way to drink bang is with a spoon and a lighter. Bang energy is all about being manly, like sipping cotton candy. I work out at a park because I got banned from 24-hour fitness. Yeah, I've had it once or twice before because nice. like, my little brother was really into it. And, yeah. he'd, and he'd be like, yeah, I have a bang. <laughs> and so I had one and I got a stomachache. <laughs> I can't even lie. Like They're like key lime pie flavor is pretty good oh really yeah yeah <laughs> these energy drinks are going too far i know man. i know i like it take it take it that way <laughs> maybe they should maybe they got inspired from Jimi hendrix who took it too far with this song purple haze by Jimi hendrix right released on march 17th 1967 it peaked at number three on the uk charts but became one of hendrix's signature songs and even could be considered one of rock and roll's signature songs yeah. which i think is cool we haven't yeah. done like the rock and roll song yet. yeah so it could be fun to talk about that a little bit it was the opening track off the 1967 classic Are You Experienced yep. and really helped reinvent the electric guitar in myriad ways. 
It routinely tops lists about classic guitar songs and has been inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame. I didn't know they had a Hall of Fame. Neither did I. We probably brought it up at some point. Where do you think it is? Cooperstown. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say like maybe like Greensboro, Lincoln, Nebraska, Durham. Yeah, Durham. Ra- yeah. Raleigh, Durham, Rochester. <laughs> <You're at> Rochester. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> it was recorded at D- Delane Lay Studio in London and was produced by Chaz Chandler, who was also the bassist for the rock group The Animals, who wrote House of the Rising Sun. Sick. Pretty cool. The song was inspired by a dream of Hendrix where he was under the sea and was engulfed by purple haze. Ooh. Yeah. But his faith in Jesus saved him. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. So how many melatonins does that that guy take before he goes to sleep? <laughs> <laughs> That's such a heady dream. You think people dream dr- people's dreams were more creative before the advent of like personalized technology? Wow, yeah, like that's kind be- of a heavy thing to yeah, think like, about. Like because like us in the tech in the information age have like seen so much. Yeah, like on our devices, we can dream about these. Like back then in the sixties, like. TV was kind of popular, but not like what it is today. Yeah, there's no way you were like watching it on a small device while you're like waiting for a fucking Jamba Juice or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it was Chandler who encouraged Hendrix to put Purple Haze on the album, saying, quote, I heard him playing it at the flat and was knocked out. I told him to keep working on that, saying that's the next single, end quote. Hendrix finished writing the song in the dressing room of a London club on December 26, 1966, before a gig. Mm. So love the energy of like writing a song before you play a gig. Because like I've done it plenty of times and you're just like, I'm the fucking musician right here. (laughs) I'm the fucking man. Like I'm writing songs and playing gigs. People are out there like being lame asses and I'm I'm the fucking best. This era of rock and roll sounds awesome, by the way. Like mid 60s, late 60s rock and roll like sounds fun and it's, sick. it sounds cool because like that they were pushing the limits of like technology yeah and pu- public consciousness and like harmony to some degree like we'll talk about the tritone a little bit yeah but so it's like I, it, whenever there's like a genre of music that kind of coalesces towards like the progressiveness of like society it always feels like the right time like i can't think of an example of that now because i'm so old and like detached right but i'm sure like maybe like tiktok drops right like right, where right. like this crazy they're like oh we're reinventing like things for computers right uh drummer mitch mitchell and bassist noel redding learned the song in the studio According to Mitchell, quote, Hendrix came in and kind of hummed us the riff and showed Noel the chords and changes. I listened to it and we went, okay, let's do it. We got it in the third take. Hey. Yeah, which is cool. Easy as that. You I know? mean, when you're good, it's like, we, and we talk about this before, it's like there's a looseness right. with a lot of types of music that actually helps the music breathe a little bit better. Right. And when you're a really good musician, like even if it's not, even if it's the first time you played the song, as long as you have like the right intention and you're in tune and shit and you play the changes, it's going to sound really good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, a trio can absolutely get away with that. Have you ever recorded like a rock trio before? You have, right? Those yeah. guys. Yeah. Um, what's that? What's their, their band name? That like metal kind of like with the oh, crazy the very, vocals. Yeah, very loud death. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's yeah, drums, bass, and guitar, and the guitar player sings. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they had the same, same kind of vibe, like no click track. They just kind of played the songs as they played the song. Yeah, yeah. And there was like a looseness but a tightness to it. It was really interesting it's like, stuff. It's like we talk about it a bit with like the intimacy that comes with two people singing together. And I think the same is true about any number of people playing music together. But three seems to be like a good amount because uh, everyone's like really fucking important yeah. in a trio. Everyone is important, yeah. <laughs> and like, we, like as somebody who's like been in trios too, like you feel it. You're yeah. like, I am important. Like yeah, I am at least a third of this. Most lonely boys. Exactly. <laughs>
We gotta queue up that song. I fucking love that song. It's a good song. How far is heaven? Yeah, it's a good song. Though. Remember that uh, that fucking rainwater song? Yeah, oh, like, dude, wow. <laughs> we gotta wow. listen to that one. Oh my god. Do listen to this about that. According to Chandler, the principal tracking was done in just four hours. But the experimentation, or what I like to call tone chasing, nice. continued for quite some number of weeks. Eventually, they went to Olympic Studios. Yep. for You know about this place? Well, I know. Olympic's famous. Yeah, there yeah. we go. For overdubbing, where they were assigned a young engineer by the name of Eddie Kramer, who quickly became an integral part to not just Jimmy's sound, but everyone's, I would say. I remember like some of the first records I made, the dude was like, oh, we're going to use, we were using like a fake drum kit, like a MIDI one on fucking keyboard reason yeah. reason one I oh think. wow yeah and and he was like oh we're gonna use this snare drum i really like the it, and he's like it's the eddie kramer snare right and i was like oh who's that so what do you, what can you tell me about eddie kramer he's probably like on the mount rushmore yeah of like recording engineers like someone that really impacted the recording process like really pushed the bounds of like how you can use technology for what it was not intended for. Oh, cool. You know? I, I love that. Because part of art is subver- subverting expectations. But right. then a lot of times we don't think about the ability to subvert people's expectations in the technology. Right. So whenever anybody does something like that, it can be really cool. One of the coolest things about Eddie Kramer and Jimi Hendrix, who worked together closely for a lot of their careers, um, is they would work you know, in Olympic or whatever, who I think at this time they had an eight track. Mm-hmm which means you only had eight tracks to record all your music and mix to. But they had heard that in the United States, there was a 16 track and they were like, Oh, like imagine all the possibilities we could do if we got a 16 track. (laughs) So they went to America to start working on 16 tracks and they actually felt like they were less creative on the 16 track machine. And so they bailed on it and went back to doing eight tracks where they felt that this limitation yeah. would allow them to like really push the limit of what they could do. And I find that so interesting. Yeah, I mean, limitations are really important, um, especially when they're, they're limitations that you choose to be in, because mm-hmm. then they're not like metaphysical limitations. Right. Like if you actually feel limited, that's always bad when you're making art. But if you're like, this is what we're working for, so and it's what we've got, so I feel free to just push it. Right. That. It's like more of a technological limitation, right. which is better and very cool, actually. And I like, like this. I'm trying to think of like what an analogy would be. It's like it's almost like I mean, doubling your track count is massive in in like recording. Like the it there is more that you can do. Yeah. I'm trying to think. It's like it's almost like you know, walking versus riding a bike. Yeah. Oh, damn. You know, yeah, it's yeah. like there's that much more versatility you can do, but for some reason they felt that they could push the limit of an eight track machine versus a sixteen track machine. And I always thought that was so interesting. Remember when you get the bike in those early Pokemon games? Oh, you're just dude. fucking flying. That's what Fly. I thought of. Yeah. <laughs> Fly, dude. <laughs> Um, All sorts of far-out techniques were used in the process of recording these overdubs, including playing the track back through headphones, which was then moved around the recording microphone to create a weird echo, like a Doppler. Yeah, like, what the heck is that? Yeah, it's really cool. They also sped up guitar parts recorded at half speed, which we... We got a great example of that in season two with yep. Tubular Bells. Yep. <laughs> and uh, they also panned the shit out of everything. Yeah, it's which, really like, cool. Yeah. What the hell is going on? Like, Yeah, and it's like, it's like okay, mid-60s, people, I think we're still kind of experimenting with stereo and understanding like what it was. And like we're sitting here listening on headphones, yeah. and we listen to st- stereo music exclusively. 
and there's now a precedent for how things sound in stereo. So this didn't sound as far out back then as it might. I don't now. think so. Yeah. Like I think I think you know people had a set of speakers in their room and they put the record on and it would just fill the space of the room while you were hanging out or yeah, yeah. you know hang, entertaining people or whatever. But I think like putting on a pair of headphones or sitting in front of a pair of speakers was not a common thing. Do you, do you, I don't think. Do they have like, are they like audio? Um, what do they call those people? Like audio files. But they have like audiophile hipsters who are like, yeah, you listen in stereo, like fucking loser, like mono's where it's at. There are people like that. <laughs> That's going to be me. Yeah. You ever listen to Laffy Taffy and mono? You don't. It kind of is in mono. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it just slaps it you across the face. Yeah, it kind of is. <laughs> the guitar solo for Purple Haze features the first ever use of the Octavia guitar effects unit, which was developed by Jimi Hendrix, who I can now call Gendrix, <laughs> alongside engineer Roger Mayer. So uh, this is like the first ever use of like an octave pedal, yeah. which octave pedal is near and dear to my heart. I love octave pedals. Yeah. They're so cool. Basically, for those of you that don't know, they just take your single signal and they turn the note into like an octave higher or lower mm-hmm. or multiple octaves in one, like yep. a polyphonic kind of thing. Um, when they sent this track to the label, they had to include a note that said, quote, deliberate distortion, do not correct. Nice. Isn't that funny? Nice. <laughs> this week's episode is brought to you by Purple Haze Detox Drink. Got a big employment opportunity coming up? Sounds great, except for the fact that you went to see Green Sky over the weekend and got into it with a couple of girls who said they were really into ween and one thing led to another. And let's just say you aren't passing that drug test. That's where Purple Haze Detox Drink comes in to save the day. Guaranteed to pass any test worldwide, and the best part about it is it looks like a gnarly and crunchy, heady brew. Purple Haze Detox Drink, excuse me while I kiss the sky and get away with it. Thanks so much, y'all, for listening to this podcast. Please spread the word about this podcast in real life. Rate and review us on iTunes. Spread the word about this podcast in fake life. It's up to you. Just spread it in some sort of life. Um, we've got a playlist on Spotify with all the songs and episodes from season one to season three as well. Let us know how we're doing and what songs you want us to do episodes about. Thanks for listening to us. <laughs> <laughs>